The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. And right now on the first Fast Money of the New Year, Apple getting off to a rotten start, dragging the major averages down with it. But could it actually be good news for the macro market that Apple is struggling? We will explain. Plus, New Year, same struggle for Tesla. The stock stalling again, now trading below 110 a share. With the stock cut in half in just about a month, is it time to give Tesla a second look? And later on... Rolling the dice on casino stocks, a peak into fintech, and some big oil players saying they are ready to spend some money stateside. Hello, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan in tonight for Melissa Lee. Good to have you on. All right, this is Fast Money, as always, live from the NASDAQ market site. On your desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Welcome, everybody. Happy, Happy New Year. Welcome. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Clap them in. And God bless. Clap them. All right, we'll clap them in. God bless us, everyone. All right. <laughs> Let's start tonight with Apple. That's a golf clap there, all right? With nearly a 4% drop today, Apple has fallen back below a $2 trillion market cap. All right, what does that mean? These are big numbers. For some perspective, the stock briefly hit the $3 trillion mark one year ago. Apple, of course, not the only company feeling the pain today. The major indexes all closed in the red despite beginning the day higher. NASDAQ leading the losses, losing at the end of the day, three quarters of 1%. Guy Adami. Yes, sir. All right. Apple. Well, let's break down. I think technically, fundamentally, it seems to be breaking down in a lot of ways. Will it continue to pull the market lower or can it turn things around? Well, if you've watched CNBC's Fast Money the last year. 5 p.m. Eastern. Every night. Yeah, and if we make it to the 8th of January, which is not that far from here, it's 16 years. Right. That's crazy. But right. Dan Nathan, Jeff Mills, Tim Seymour specifically have all said 125. It's got to go there. Here we are at the 125 level. And at least now you can make a compelling case on valuation. Probably trades in a market multiple. But the move to me makes a lot of sense. And we've talked about it. If you didn't know it was Apple, and I said, listen, mid-single digits EPS growth, mid-single digits revenue growth, declining margins. A, something that they sell that is a high-end product in an environment where they're not going to be immune to the, the headwinds that everybody else is facing, what happens to the stock? You say it goes lower. Well, here we are. And quickly, you go back to the fourth quarter at the end of October. We said it then. That was not a great quarter by Apple standards. The market rewarded them, but they shouldn't have. And here we are at levels that are starting to make sense. And by the way, for the broader market, this is exactly what you want to see. You want to see Apple give it up a little bit. Well, it's interesting, too, because Apple's underperformance to the broader market going into this, I think it's 17 percent over the last 18 sessions or so. And if you go back to uh, and that would actually 
If you go back to their earnings and where they had that intraday high on the day after, um, it's closer to 22 percent. And it's really it's been it's been gross underperformance. And yet the S&P is down 40 bips today. Triple Q is down 60 bips today. So is that a positive? Is that a negative? I, I just think if you if you look back on 22, the biggest dynamic with the market to me, it was a multiple re-rating. So we didn't have the EPS cuts. I think we've talked about that here. I think we're going to get that. Um, Apple, to me, that's all we've done. All we've done is crush the multiple down. We haven't done anything on EPS. Um, today's catalyst for a big move down in Apple, and 4% is a big move for the biggest company in the world, was, again, some, some, some statements out of the Nikkei that some of their suppliers have been warned to cut back based upon demand. Not for iPhone, uh, but more for Macs and wearables, whatnot. Either way, we still haven't got that cutback on Apple. So you look at the charts, and again, we bring up these numbers all the time. 80 was a pre-COVID level, 55, 52, 50 even in, in October of 2019 uh, before they actually really started to show you some services revenue, which is why the stock re-rated. Um, but anyway, look, I, I, I think Apple goes lower. Forward P Karen, to begin the year was about 29. It's at about 20 now. Mm-hmm. Is that enticing enough of a valuation for you? Well, I'm long, so I would say if you went home long, then it's the same as well, buying. Well, longer by adding I more. Could. I haven't yet. Um, I just want to say kudos to these guys, though, because they were especially guy talking 125 is where it was headed, and this was a while ago. If we look back, you know, we see in June of 2022 during that big downturn, it's actually lower than that right now. So that's somewhat concerning for sure. Um, I just, you know, I stick with the, the fundamental thesis of this being a premium company that deserves a premium valuation, which they have. Um, I don't know where it could go. Would I, pro- Guy and I, before the show, were just looking at, you know, downside. The 110 puts that get you January earnings um, were actually only two and a quarter, which I thought was maybe too cheap to just sell naked puts. It's not really my thing. But uh, is this options action? What, what night? Oh, no, that's Sorry. Friday night What's at five thirty, Brian. Where's Mike it's- Coe? Anyway, all that having been said, to me, it's a bit of no man's land. I'm not adding right here. 25 times the median five-year Ford PE. 20 now, Dan, again, same question to you. Enticing enough? Well, I think Tim made the, the right point. I mean, this stock um, is expected earnings and sales for this year. That we're in fiscal 2023 here. Um, for Apple, was always mid-single digits, right? So it started the year trading about 27 times. Here is it about 20 times. And those estimates haven't changed that much. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before. I mean, in 2019, the first week of that year, this came after a very difficult Q4 in 2018. The stock market was down 20%. Apple was down more of it. There was a global growth scare, specifically in China. And Apple warned about China on the second day of that year. So they pre-announced and it gapped lower. And that was kind of it for it. And I think it had a 45% peak to drop decline. Okay, so that was, you know, three years ago. It wasn't that long ago, if you think about it, four years ago, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we are now. The stock is in a bit of a fall. It's actually acted much better than the um, NASDAQ and many of its mega cap peers. I'll just say this. I think if you got that sort of move down to 110 or below it, um, I would be really hard pressed to see this stock anytime soon below $100 unless we are literally in a market crash, and to be very frank with you, because they have the monopoly, they have the moats, they have the balance sheet, they have the management, they have a billion and a half um, users, installed base of iOS users all over the world. Think about some of the biggest megatrends in technology over the next five to ten years in AI and VR and AR and autonomous. I mean, they're working on all of this stuff, and they have yeah. a billion and a half users to tap into at some point. So if you get that stock down below $110, you know what I mean? Like, you probably want to start dollar cost averaging there. 
Isn't, isn't some of this, though, doesn't this feel like the changing of the guard? I mean, we've talked about this also, where the structure of the market just isn't going to be the same structure we had for the last three or four years. And so, you know, 7% of the S&P, you know, that's part of it. But it's just that, that those six stocks that were 25% of the S&P, real economy picking up steam. And, and again, I don't, I, that's what today felt like to me. It punctuated that. Obviously, we're going to talk about Tesla. Same thing. Re-rating makes sense, right? Absolutely makes sense. But if you want to now talk tail risk, because I do think there is some sort of tail risk here at Apple. God forbid something were to happen between China and Taiwan. What does Apple force to do? Because to me, they set the precedent with Russia, Ukraine, right? Obviously, in terms of market, Russia is not a big deal for them. China is, but I think they'd be forced to do something. And that, to me, is where you really get things nasty on the Apple front. Now, there's probably... I don't know, 10 to 15 percent chance of that happening. But that's something you have to consider, I think, in this environment. But on the other side of that guy, they've got so much cash. You know, at some point they're going to come back. Cash position has been dwindled. It it has dwindled. Still 50 billion that I'm looking at. They could defend the stock. They could come in with a buyback. They're going to their employees are going to demand something, I would imagine. They, well, they've been doing buybacks for years now. Yeah, That's how they more. got to this, you know, you call it dwindling cash. They also, they did a fantastic job of issuing debt at close mm-hmm. to zero. It rounds to zero. So that's cheap money that they have. I don't think that's enough anymore. I agree with Tim. I think there is a changing of the guard here, you know, with Tesla, with Apple, with actually, you know, pretty much all the fangs. But that's a bear market thing. So so I think it was Dan Loeb of of, uh, Third Point. He tweeted this out uh, last week or so, something about if you're holding on, I think he said with rosaries for the stocks that led in the last bull market, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, to lead us out into the next one, then you probably, you know, are doing it wrong in some way, shape or form. That's what he said. So he's basically saying the stuff that got us to the highs in 2020, the stuff that outperformed for a better part of that move in the last bull market until the top last year is not going to be the stuff that happens next. I, I kind of disagree with that because if you think about the weightings of some of these groups, Tim just said, if we do have a sort of reflation trade and we see industrials and we see some other, you know, healthcare is outperformed, but that's not going to be a big leader. You know, I, I think energy is not going to be the, 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 the contributor that it had been over the last year and a half. I don't see us coming out of whatever bear that we're in and however long it takes in 2023 or into 2024 to come mm-hmm. out of it is those names, those trillion dollar names, not being a big part of the leadership. Just think of the structure that they have. They are a disproportionate amount of the weight of of those two major indices. I, I, I can agree with that, except for, um, and I don't know what the answer is. So I don't know who's going to replace them as much, but I, I look at a world where the reason you piled into mega cap tech was you got decent growth in a world where interest rates were zero. And, and, and the valuations were decent. I mean, interest rates are, are 5%, or they're going to 5%. By the way, the terminal rate, even though rates went down today, terminal rate on the Fed went a little bit higher today. So I, I just, this is the part of this story, and it gets into the multiple. What are we paying for these stocks? I get why we paid 24 per times uh, for Apple at a particular point. I, I don't know why we're paying 21 times trailing. And again, this is a world where we think they're going to do what they did last year. I'm still waiting for that warning. Think about how much little, though, they've had as far as one of the big overhangs, one of the big headwinds has been like some sort of regulation and breaking up these companies. And we can make the case that some of these companies would probably be more valuable. Amazon would be more valuable if the company was broken up, that sort of thing. So I guess to me, why you invest in those companies and why they were such a disproportionate amount of the enthusiasm in that bull market, mm-hmm. they were perceived safe for all the reasons I just said. The moats, the monopolies, the balance sheets, the managements, all of the above. I don't see that really changing in the next few I years. I can name a lot of people that have probably come on the network in the last couple of years and said, buy big tech, it's recession proof. And I'd like to think this is 
This is an educational. It's not just entertaining. This is what an educational program. Trade school. And, you know, Apple was a $91 stock when the pandemic hit. So it's still 30 bucks mm. plus a share above that level. And history is littered with investors, Karen, who have gotten their you-know-what's handed to them because they just instinctively bought what worked for them in the past. They fell in love with the stock, not the company. I'm not saying that's Apple here, but you get what I'm going at. Well, it's gone down, so it must go back up. That's right. the equivalent of my initials. BS. Oh, What's your I just couldn't name? say the. <laughs> okay. Now no, I get I it. I think, well, a couple of things happened. So many of these stocks never, never should have been where they were, right? So I, I think for many of them, there is no hope to getting back to where they were within the next. Many I don't know, of them. Yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, certainly the high-flying tech ones, many of them. I mean, even, even you know, I look on the uh, discretionary side, RH at $600 a share or $700 a share. That seems crazy to me. Netflix, which I do own, $650, $700 a share. I think they're very far off from that. So when, you know, money's free, the multiples are mm-hmm. infinite. But I don't think that, I, I don't think we're going to get back there. No, it's exactly, listen, Snowflake, money to be made. throw that out there, Snowflake as well, which is not an insignificant company. I mean, look at where that was, should have never been there. I think they would acknowledge that, look where it is now. But it's interesting when there were, in the heyday of this market, we were talking about the next company get to a trillion dollar market cap, two trillion dollar market. In the last week, Amazon lost a trillion dollars of market mm. cap when it made its new multi-year low. And Apple's on the verge of doing exactly that. That, to me, again, it stinks, but it's a great sign of at least there's an end in sight. And insult Apple at your own risk uh, on Twitter. Yeah. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but it tells you, it tells you the emotion behind the stock. And, and I just say today's the one-year anniversary of the all-time high in the S&P. It's only one year, folks. I know it feels a lot longer, and that's another reason why we remain yeah, somewhat bearish. It's funny. That baton was passed a year and a half ago to Tesla. You could say whatever you want on Apple on Twitter. I mean that sincerely. And then when, once that Tesla thing started happening, that's where you knew that was the biggest bubble in the stock market. And again, even on its way down, down 75%, I know we're going to talk about it, mm. that still gets you in a lot of trouble with the bulls, if you want to say, I, told you I so. I can tell you. Well, $10 trillion in total market cap wiped out of the U.S. equity market last year. Even for Guy Adami, that's a big, big number. number. Big All right, number. let's Matter talk about it. Your next guest sees today maybe as a certain longer-term buying opportunity. Let's combine the markets, the Fed, and just some school named Georgetown. Paul McCulley is PIMCO's former chief economist, now teaches at the aforementioned Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. And he joins us now on the fast line, no doubt, champing at the bit to get in on this conversation there, Paul. Uh, Tim Seymour, I had terminal rate and the under. Um, I've Georgetown lost alone, bet. by the way. He's referencing terminal rate going up. How closely connected is the Federal Reserve money supply and the ability of stocks to go up? How connected are those things? I think the connection is a whole lot closer to the policy rate than the money supply per se. I think the money supply slowing down and actually going down is reflecting uh, a slowdown uh, in overall uh, demand for credit, particularly for leverage and so forth. So the big issue for me uh, is the policy rate, uh, and then two, how does the yield curve respond to it? Uh, so I think that we're almost finished uh, the tightening process. It's either going to be a little bit below five or a little bit above five. But I think we put in the highs for longer-term interest rates, the yield curves inverted, and it's time to start thinking in terms of, yes, a pivot, 
not in the distant future, but probably by the middle of the year. Okay, agreed. And I think the debate over rates going up is probably over or really darn close to it, Paul. So let's define pivot. By the way, maybe our Wordle starting word tomorrow for everybody out there. There's two pivots. There's the pivot to cutting rates with the Fed, and there's the pivot to just not raising them but not lowering them and keeping the rate and the terminal rate and everything high for a lot longer than many people expect. Which one would you be looking for? Well, you actually will have both. They've got to stop before that they can reverse and cut. Uh, so you get a pause, then a pivot, the two Ps, if you will. Uh, and I think they will actually be not that far apart. Uh, and uh, I think the pause uh, will be the catalyst for uh, renewed risk appetite. Uh, and then the pivot will be the turbocharger. All right. So you heard our debate between equity markets and rates. I'll kind of go back to my first question, Paul. If the Fed stays where they are for a while, is tech toast for a while for the same length of time? I'm not sure because the Fed can find a plateau and tell us that they're going to stay there for a while. But I don't think the yield curve necessarily will be uh, singing in harmony. Uh, I think it will become even more inverted uh, as the Fed uh, finishes this tightening process. And I would suggest that growth stocks and the market more broadly uh, is going to be uh, keyed off of what's going on in particularly the five, seven, and ten-year part of the curve. And if that portion of the curve can maintain and uh, itself and actually have lower rates, uh, then you just have a higher inverted uh, yield curve, but the equity market uh, can get a grip. Hey, Paul, it's Karen. Thanks for being on and Happy New Year. Um, can you tell me what in your in your thesis, what are you thinking inflation has to be at to allow the Fed to pause and pivot? I don't think it's a level. I think it is uh, manifestly going down, disinflating uh, uh, across a broad spectrum. Uh, and Chair Powell has already effectively told us uh, this in the sense that uh, we've seen goods starting to disinflate in some places deflate. Um, we're seeing the housing market uh, do the same. Uh, and the third bucket uh, for Mr. Powell is services away from housing. And he looks at that being driven by the tight labor market and wages. Uh, and that's the last thing that has to cry uncle. Uh, and when it does, then the Fed's finished. Uh, and this uh, nightmare of 22 will very much be in the rearview mirror. And we'll leave it there, Paul, but we talked about it the other night. I just don't know how do you cut wages without mass layoffs, because once you give somebody a raise, you don't pull it back. We'll get you back on to talk more about it. Paul McCulley, thank you very much. Happy New Year, my friend. All right. Coming up, PayPal popping after putting in its worst year ever last year, but that was last year. Will PayPal be a winner this year? Also, oil prices down, but two of the biggest U.S. oil companies saying they may be done with international, but they're bringing more money home. We'll get the trade and talk it with Fast Money Returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If I'm on the show, you know we're going to talk oil prices. Yeah, we right. are. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> Forget the, about that's it. That's the deal. I don't get paid extra to do this. Oil prices sliding <laughs> into the new year down about 3.8%. It's on worries. Insert worry here, right? Slowing demand, fears of recession. The weather's good. Too much oil. Natural gas, by the way, down because it's 60 degrees in New York, 70 degrees in Europe. Nobody's using natural gas for anything. Meantime, ExxonMobil and Chevron, they're laggards today. But there was some news Two largest domestic oil companies sort of pulling back from international projects, but that could be good news here because both companies plan to boost their spending in the States. All this is Chevron comes off its best year for the stock since 1980. No. When Brian Downing was playing catcher for the California Angels. I said that. No, that's you we did. said 81. And ExxonMobil, Ed Boone. Ott. Boone. ExxonMobil. Boone. Ed Ott. Boone. ExxonMobil has Ott. its best year ever, but Dan Nathan. Whoa. You said in the last part, you said, I don't think energy is going to be the leader it was this year. Does that mean you're negative on it or it's just not going to have the best year ever? Well, from an earnings perspective, we know that it's a disproportionate about the S&P earnings growth that we had in 2022, right, which was a pretty dismal year for a lot of other sectors here. So I think FactSet is quoted recently saying that they see that contribution trailing off in Q2 into Q3. And so um, to me, I I think a lot of you guys really appreciate the outperformance that the stocks have had relative to the commodity. The commodity acts like death. It really does act like it's we're going to be in a global recession this year. We're at 80. We're not at eight. Okay, we're yeah. at 52-week lows, essentially, after that you know, big rally. We've just bounced off a little bit of it. You saw what just happened in Nat Gas. Some of the worst-case scenarios that we were all envisioning for commodities, okay, you know, a year ago. Now we've round-tripped the whole thing, and now we're contending with the potential for a recession here, the potential for a recession in uh, Europe. And then we also have a China that's come, on back, come back online. It doesn't feel back online. It's not going to feel back online for it'll some take, months. It'll take some months. But, I, but, but, but the, there's... I, there's pressure on these oil companies to bring it home. So first of all, let's 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 be clear. I mean, Exxon's you know, for, as a guy that I lived in Russia, Exxon was in 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 Sakhalin and places out there for a long time. And and by the way, they were drilling holes, not necessarily those holes, but a lot of holes to nowhere. And the difference between these oil companies now is that they are so much more efficient. Look, Chevron had already cut their capex, even though so some of this increased spending here is fine. Uh, but it's about companies that are free cash flow generative. And I look at Exxon, and I don't invest based upon the price 
price of oil. In fact, $120 oil is not good for oil companies. It's not Correct. good for their prices. We've seen this over and over again. At $45 oil, Exxon pays its dividend. Remember when it got kicked out of the Dow? We were worried that they weren't going to be able to pay their dividend. And in fact, that was the stuff that really affected these stocks. As long as they're paying this and paying down debt, they're fine. And, and Guy Adami, yes, you've, been, you've been on many of these names. We're showing SLB is the new name for Schlumberger, which is terrible because now we're for the rest they of the show. We have to say SLB, formerly known as Schlumberger. Anyway, you've been on that for a while. Congratulations. Oil was $60 a barrel five years ago. Before we even heard about pandemics, whatever, 60. And if I could have gone then and said to the CEO of Chevron or Exxon, oil is going to be 80 bucks, 75 to 85. Sign me for up. Years, they would have been like, great. Now, all of a sudden, we're bemoaning $80 oil. Much like Brian Downing signing for the Angels was actually a really, I mean, that got them to the pennant that year. The Sorry, folks dude. at home are saying to themselves, they may have peaked, why, why they, are they, they may have peaked right you're, there. You're Orioles. Yeah, so I'm still wounded from this. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> Dan is 100% correct in so much as crude's collapsed. It has the commodity. But to your point, Collapse if we. is a strong word. It's from 130 to 75 is a collapse. If that was anything else, you'd say it collapsed. I mean, if it was a stock. Or I should have never been at 130. It was a blow off top. Fair it, enough. I mean, a lot of yeah, it was but Ukraine. That's where all the $250 targets. You probably had analysts on your show all the time. Well, the t- well, 250 was like the. That was Goldman the. Goldman g- had like a $200 target. If everything went terrible. Right, I think. Where's all the extra supply JP coming Morgan from? JP Morgan was well, 380. This is supply demand. Question. Where's all the okay. supply coming 380 from? 380 feels I mean, a little more like 420, if you, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, from that case. Tafon Watson. I got a question. Okay. I don't have the answer. What if, if peace were to break out tomorrow in the Ukraine, right? If the Ukraine situation were resolved, where would oil go? Where, that supply. Uh, look, it would probably I, drop. I it, would, it would drop ten bucks a barrel, and that would be it. Because there's no new oil coming online. The swing capacity within OPEC, who who does not get along. And by the way, we have not invested in this country in a yeah. long time. That's the whole point. I don't see a lot of supply coming out of anywhere. China's gone back online. We we're not even counting in China demand. I think you know. I think oil price goes higher, even though that's not why we're investing in Exxon. And to your, the point you were making with your question, yes, they would have signed up for $80. They would have signed up for $70. And if crude were to go sideways for the next year and a, in a benign equity market, I think these equities yeah. are still cheap. Now, look, ExxonMobil just made an all-time high, 114, a couple weeks ago, 106 now. It hasn't traded horribly. Chevron, same thing. Yeah. OIH, down 14 bucks today, but still around 290 Things are hanging in there. I mean, yeah, I like are. energy here. Yeah. Meanwhile, and you're not, you're not going to have the year you had last year. That would be impossible to consider. You're going to get a doubling in Oxy, Occidental again. And you're not signing Otani. And by the way, the, the, right. the, who's you? The His next team. OPEC, hold on, the next signing. OPEC meeting is June 4th. But OPEC, they, they reserve the right to meet whenever they want. I wouldn't be surprised if oil kept going down, if OPEC start to hear some rumblings. Anyway, speaking of oil and stocks, we, meaning me, will be live in Miami on Thursday for the Goldman Sachs Global Energy and Clean Tech Conference all day Thursday. Some of our guests include the CEO of Chesapeake, the CEO of Sunrun, the CEO of Chenier, and the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. That's all day long. We're not going to tell you when the interviews are, so you have to watch all day long Thursday right here on CNBC from Miami. It's a tough gig, guy. Somebody's got to do it, Somebody's got to do it. All right. There's a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. PayPal ringing in the new year with a huge rally. One Wall Street analyst sees more than 20% upside ahead. Should old acquaintance be forgot? Or is this name a red-hot buy here? We'll discuss next. Plus, Tesla shares hitting the skids to kick off the year. But at what point do you consider it a buy? Those details ahead. 
You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast. We've got some breaking news on the vote for Speaker of the House. Alon Moy joining us now with that. Alon? O'Brien, the House is now adjourned for the evening after failing to elect a new Speaker of the House. California Republican Kevin McCarthy was unable to muster the 218 votes that he needs in order to secure the position. In fact, opposition to him grew after three rounds of voting with 20 GOP lawmakers opposing him in that latest round. Now, Republicans are hoping that uh, this break in voting will allow them time to perhaps reach some sort of deal that would allow them to move forward with someone to lead their party in the next Congress. But as of now, the House adjourning for the evening with no new speaker elected. Brian. Wow. Big day. Alon, thank you very much. All right. Let's get back down to the markets. PayPal actually topping your tape today. The beaten up stock gaining about 5%, a rare update. There was a bullish call on PayPal from Truist analysts. They upgraded PayPal to a buy. They raised their target. They see the potential for the PAL to beat earnings estimates this year and next. It was not just PayPal. Shares of Block, not H&R, the company formerly known as Square, also benefiting from an upgrade. Analysts at Baird saying that Block should see growing earnings and margins this year. Dan, a take on either of those calls. Can I do both? Sure, why not? Um, well, oh, just real wow. quickly on PayPal. I mean, Greedy. expectations after the year down 80-some percent last year, I think expecting 15% uh, earnings growth, 9% sales growth, flat-ish margins, and I, they like the balance sheet, and they like the ability um, for them to acquire. I like this call here. I can't tell you that the stock is going down, but like done going down, but I do think from a value standpoint, and I think the secular shift towards some of the things that they do really well, I think is great. On the flip side of that, Square, you know, this stock is well below, just so you know, the PayPal. It's COVID lows, okay? Square is still well above those COVID lows. I don't like it at all. And if you think of the bull case is that PayPal can make acquisitions. If anything, Square, Block, when they bought that company Afterpay for $29 billion in stock in 2020, that was it, the buy now, pay later. So I, I don't have any faith yeah. in the company right now. Just amazing. The thing about pay, you see it on every checkout, everywhere you go on the web, and the stock cannot get out of its own way. Maybe a lesson there. All right, coming up, what a difference a year makes for mortgage rates. Mm. But can home buyers, will home buyers, adjust to the new normal of 6 or 7% mortgages? Diana Olick is up with more on housing coming up. And yes, we're going to talk Tesla. It misses the mark on deliveries, shares down another 12%. At what point is Tesla worth your money? We'll talk about it coming up. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. Happy trading. New Year, by the way. Not so happy for the markets. Get another check. I'm sorry to tell you. Don't come at the messenger. Stocks kicked off the year kind of like they left last year, which is in the red. The Nasdaq down almost 1%, was off 7 tenths of a percent. The Dow only down 10 points, so we'll call that a win. 
The Dow tried to stage a late-day comeback, but in the end could not and still closed in the red. By the way, Meta Platforms, formerly known as? Facebook. Thank you. Among today's few winners, that's right, Meta was up 3.6%, coming off its worst ever year since going public a decade ago. Chinese internet stocks, they continue to run. The K-Web rallying more than 5% with names like Billy Billy and Pinduoduo, seeing outsized gains. You just the- wanted to say that, didn't you? Yeah, That's it. yeah, and you said it kind of funny, I wanted funny to see too. if I could. Yeah. I'm not sure I got it off, but I tried. Anyway, on the downside, there's a company called Tesla. They make cars, and that stock fell another 12% today. They did not sell as many cars as people had hoped them to, missed delivery numbers. The electric automaker just over 405,000 cars last quarter compared to expectations for more than 430,000. Stock having its biggest drop since September of 2020 and its lowest close since August of that year. For more on the road ahead for Tesla is Wall Street Journal tech reporter and CBC contributor Tim Higgins. Tim, we could point to China. We could point to recession fears. We even point to what some may say is Elon Musk's reputational damage. Is there any way that there's one thing or rank the things that are the most wrong with Tesla right now? Well, today is probably more about the expectation game. Remember, it was Elon last year talking about he thought sales could increase by 60% at one point. Then it was 50%. And then just a few months ago, it was going to be just under that 50%. And when it comes in at 40%, that's a number way lower than a lot of people are thinking for this period. You know, there's also just the matter of competition, Tim, is there not? I mean, a few years ago, yeah, you could order a Rivian or maybe there was like one GM Volt or Bolt or whatever they called it back then. Now everybody's got electric cars and I'm reading Car and Driver and I'm reading you and I'm reading Dan O'Neill and I'm reading Road and Track. And there's a lot of electric cars getting a lot of love for the critics that are not called Teslas. Yeah, absolutely. And this year is going to be even more difficult as those tax breaks are going to be hitting in the U.S., being encouraging for people to look at an EV, to try an EV. And unfortunately for Tesla, they're not uh, as robust for the Tesla offering as some were hoping for uh, because of the pricing for those vehicles and the way that they were judged to be in the categories that they are. So investors are disappointed at those new numbers that we're seeing Uh, as they face that more competition. Now their vehicles might be too pricey for some. We talked about China, the quote reopening. I hate that term, but, you know, China's a massive market for Tesla. Tim, if China, quote, reopens, are we going to see Tesla's fortunes turn around, at least not a stock perspective, maybe, but a car perspective? A hot market in China is good for Tesla. Tesla uh, can benefit greatly from that. It has benefited greatly in the past few years from China. There's enthusiasm for the brand over there. Uh, So yes, a a reopening of China is uh, positive for Tesla going forward. It also helps with its production. If they could get past some of these COVID concerns and help uh, smooth out things, those are all up signs for Tesla and Elon. Hey, Tim, Tim, part of the pain in the stock, I think, is a lack of trust in the company. And you look at those delivery numbers. I'm curious your thought on and there's some speculation out there, you know, that the of the 411, you know, only, you know, only 300 of that were new orders. And and the problem is we don't have the data or we don't have the transparency in this company to even understand what is what. Coming at the end of the month here, I think there'll be when we can get some of the regulatory filings. I think people will be looking at that. But you're, you're hitting kind of. That's one of the issues that we've seen with Tesla the last few months 
is just concern about the communication to the market. We've heard from investors unhappy with Elon as he's been distracted at Twitter, wondering what he's going to be doing with Tesla. How are they responding to this possible recession? And yeah, this is an issue with communication and trust and where the company is at this point, which is, I think, why you're seeing Tesla kind of signal they're going to do an investor day in early March, try to clear some things up. Tim Higgins of The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much, Tim Seymour. Everybody, let's 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 talk about this. I mean, what do you think is the biggest problem with the stock, Tim Seymour? Uh, Reputational I, issues. I, 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 first of all, I have to laugh that we're we're talking about you know car company issues. We're not talking about this tech company and this 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 mumbo jumbo that was you know I, I quote my friend Cy Jacobs who said you know being being wrong. Tesla is so 2020. It's a mark-to-market issue. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I mean, I was I was three years early and wrong, so I was very wrong. But my problem was this is a car company. We need to value it like a car company, and and the competitive landscape, uh, but also the accounting. They, they solved the balance sheet issue three years ago. Uh, I don't think they've solved profitability, and they certainly haven't solved the multiple. I think that's the biggest thing: valuation. You know, people keep comparing it to this peak number where the stock traded, which was so absurd, it sort of, you know, wasn't bound by every, any gravitational pull of, of finance. Like, it didn't matter. They were going to just grow forever and, and, you know, be able to have tremendous margins and competition would never matter. And that's so that it's here. It's still, it's still. Competition. Well, to that point, it's still a $340 billion market cap company down 75% from those all-time highs late last year. And I would just say China is obviously the issue today. And here's the thing. I mean, we've talked about this on the desk for months and months now. China, we just spent a lot of time talking about China. They have less than 10% market share in EVs in China. There's lots of competitive, um, you know, like, like local competitors in China that are, might have a leg up. And if you want to go... Some are coming I'm, here, by the and way. And I'm going to hand the baton to Guy. Mm. If there's any geopolitical issues, I mean, the stuff with China is only heating up. And for some reason, Elon has been really quiet about all these conspiracies. He loves tweeting about conspiracies. Lab leak, zero COVID, all this sort of stuff. He doesn't talk about those. Free speech. Don't talk about those because China is really important to them. It's not that big of a market and it's declining. In terms of metrics, quickly, Tesla is still trading close to two times revenue. Understanding there's a technology aspect, Ford, for example, trades at about 38% of their revenue. So something's got to give. Ford should be higher, but Tesla can still go a lot lower, in my opinion. Can, can still go a lot. Yes, sir. 69 price target right there. $69. All right, coming up, one options trader is making a whale-sized wager on this gaming stock. And to find out, there's your chart. Okay, a big bet on the stock. Who is it? It's not Frank Tanana or Brian Downing. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Wynn Resorts, they're up today. Wells Fargo upgraded the stock to overweight, raised its price target by 36 the analyst writing that Wynn has a path to recapturing its pre-pandemic EBITDA level, and that is not reflected in the current stock price. But the big options money is betting that a different name in the casino world could be about to cash in. Mike Coe, the aforementioned, joining us now with the options action. Mike. Yeah, the action was in Melco Resorts. This one traded Four times its average daily options volume and the most active contract in the largest trade was seen in the January 14 calls. We saw a purchase of 50,000 of those for 33 cents or just under 3% of the current stock price. The buyer of those calls obviously betting that there's considerable upside between now and January expiration. 
which is less than three weeks away. Mike Coe on Mel Coe. Mike, thank you very much. I always think about Melissa Lee because you guys call her Mel, so I think Mel Coe. It's a name you guys have talked about forever. I'm Long Melco. You are I'm, Long Melco. Yeah, I'm Long Melco. What well, makes it Las more Vegas attractive thing. than the other? Well, it, it, it's a two-brain cell trade right now, and nothing's that easy. So I, I'm, I'm cautious when I say, but it's been about the casinos uh, recommissioned on their licenses in Macau. That was a very big deal. It was a very big overhang. And then China, which, which at some point we knew had to reopen. The fact that that win upgrade is predicated on getting back to 2019 EBITDA levels tells you these stocks traded down two-thirds of their former EBITDA. Um, and half of it was license concessions for those that really had reliance on Asia. And half of it was just what was going on in China. And I think they're both still great. JP Morgan upgraded Melco and win November 28th, $10 price target on Melco. Now it's 12, so they're going to have to readjust that. They were the first and not going to be the last. I think it was Wells Fargo today. Win on valuation is still, and we've talked about this for a while, it's still too cheap. It should be triple digits. It's going to get there, I think, early this, this year. People say there's a lot of hidden value in that Massachusetts mm-hmm. property for win. Yeah. You go? I have not. You got game? Uh, Long Mel or Sully? Is <laughs> it Paris trade? Yeah, I'm Long Mel. <laughs> Who is it? You can't do that. I, that's not. I don't right. care. I mean, Why do I care? Look at him. Look at him. We're, we're, we're long Sully in here. I long Sully every day you're here, bro. That's, thank you, yeah, my friend. That's why I'm doing like Frank. You're the Frank. You're the Fred Lynn of fast money. Somebody had to be. You put any position and you excel. No, that would be uh, Joe McEwing. I think he was the super utility guy. Super Joe. They that's call it. Joe. Yeah. That's it. All right. No, they, none of them were Bobby Gritch, but I digress. All right. For more options, action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Coming up, would-be homebuyers settling into a new normal, but will the sellers come down in price to match them? Diana Olick up with the push-pull that is happening in the housing market right now. Stick around. All right, welcome back. We don't need to tell you this, but we're going to anyway. Mortgage rates more than doubled last year. They could be headed even higher this year. Depends on the bond market. So if you're a potential home buyer out there, do you kind of get used to this new normal? Let's bring in CBC senior real estate correspondent, Diana. Oh, look, Diana, I guess what is the new normal? Well, the new normal is higher rates. The mortgage rates did drop back in November and early December, but they ended 2022 on a high note. The average rate on the 30-year fixed had swung nearly a full percentage point lower from around seven and a quarter percent to six and a quarter. But by New Year's Eve, it was back up over six and a half again. So for the buyer of a median priced home, today's mortgage rate translates into a monthly payment of about $2,100 without taxes or insurance, which is a 63% increase from last year. Now, on the bright side, there is much more housing supply, 47% more than a year ago at the end of November, still slightly below the historical average, but it is translating into a slower, less competitive market. Now, the home builders have been pulling back, and you see the home building ETF is down around 24% year over year, but off the much sharper lows from last June when rates first went over 7%. Okay, so the big question you ask, what about the spring market, which isn't all that far away? Is buy- are buyers significantly sufficiently used to higher rates and will lower prices now entice them back into the market. Prices have fallen 2.5% since June, and while they are still higher than they were a year ago, that may be not be the case come spring. So, Brian, again, you ask, is it a new normal? Maybe. Once we get used to the sixes, we get into the sevens? I'm not so sure. 
Where do we stand in sellers coming down in price? I got to imagine there's two types of home sellers. You got the people that have lived in a home 15, 20 years. They got a lot of equity. They can come down in price, still sell it for a price they're happy with. Then you got people who bought a house last two, three, four years who may not have, maybe took an equity line to put in a new kitchen. They can't lower their price. Right. And it's not just do they want to lower the price. It's you've been in that house a long time. You've refied a lot and you probably have a rate around 2.75 percent. So you may have a lot of equity. You want to move and buy somewhere else. Do you want to trade your three percent mortgage for a six and a half percent mortgage rate? Probably not. But if prices start to come down and buyers start to come out again and start maybe bidding a little bit, you know, it's back and forth. It's a question of how desperate are you to sell? Do you need to sell? Do you wait it out? Mm. We are hoping more sellers come onto the market because right now what's on the market is sitting a long time. There's like a reason it's like infested with scorpions or something like that. Yeah, Diana, like, <laughs> thank you very much. There's a reason the, my apartment is infested with koalas. It's the cutest infestation ever. Mitch Hedberg. Karen, you brought along a chart? I did. No, I was just thinking about mortgage rates. And if we look back at the 30-year mortgages over the last 50 years, we think we have the chart. There it is. So, you know, we have this idea that mortgages have just gone berserk. And in fact, if you look at the average over those 50 years, it's actually like seven and three quarters percent, which is meaningfully higher than where we are now. So I think we just we need to reach a little an equilibrium where it just stays kind of around here for a while. And then we'll start to see more transactions. So I'm not so bearish on the housing market. I think it'll take some time, but... Not so bearish, Guy Adami, is not bullish. Are you bullish on the housing market? Yeah, it's sort of, because it's supply. It's like the energy market. It's a supply thing. It's just there's there's no real supply out there. And if you want to look, look at DHI quickly. This was a stock, this time last year, effectively, $108 stock, all time high. You'd think, oh, this thing must be cut in half. No, it's trading 90 bucks. It's actually trading really well. The home builder stocks have priced so much nonsense in that I think they're worth looking at here. The fly in the ointment for me on all this are just where rates are going. And I don't I'm not going to tell you that they're going back. They're going to 5 percent anytime soon, but I'm not sure they're going to 3 percent anytime soon either. What Corota did, BOJ yield curve mm. uh, targeting is, is over. European yields are near their highs. If the rest of the world's rates are going higher, are our rates going to go down independent of what's going on yeah. with the economy, I'm not sure. Yeah. And if, but if you got to move, you, you're going to have to buy a house or rent at high rates, too. All right, next up, your final trade. First final trade of the year, Tim Seymour, kick it off. Safest pick for this year, United Health keeps going higher, difficult environment. They just gave a decent guide on their investor day about a month back. I like this one. Karen. Yeah, mine's going to be, it's been this one for a while, HYG short. I think we haven't seen credit spreads expand as much as they will. Uh, this might surprise you. Um, I wasn't active last week or so, but the first thing I did this morning is buy puts in the QQ. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Puts right, in the QQ. Right out of the QQ. Guy Dominic. So you mentioned some cat named Mitch Hedberg, not to be confused with Anders Hedberg, Hedberg, who came over with Ulf Nielsen, who Ulf was the better player. Great to have you. Have a safe trip to Miami tomorrow. Casinos work. Las Vegas Sands will get you there. I like it. Two words. High a lie. I'll see you there. Thanks for watching Fast Money, everybody. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 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 This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 